You know what time it is. Time for another train wreck. Welcome to Not Another Baptist Podcast, a podcast exploring church revitalization, church planting, and other Southern Baptist goodies for your ear holes. I'm Matt Hensley, pastor of Mayhill Baptist, loyal fan of the Houston Astros, and fair weather fan of the Texas Rangers. And, I, and I'm Kyle Beerman, the true and better fan of the Texas Rangers, and pastor of First Baptist Church in Alamogordo, New Mexico. Matt and I are both pastoring fantastic churches in Southern New Mexico, wading through the waters of church revitalization and trying not to drown. Well, we're grateful for our partnership with the Christian Standard Bible and are oh so humbly proud to be the official podcast of the Word of God. After the show, we encourage you to visit csbible.com to learn more about a translation that is faithful and true with an aim to blend accuracy and readability the best way possible. Uh, But until then... Let's light this dumpster fire and welcome a very special guest to the show, Mark Halleck, who's the pastor of Calvary in Edmonton, Colorado. Uh, so welcome, Mark. Tell us a little bit about your, yourself, your family, and uh, so forth. Yeah, it's great, guys. It's, uh, it's great being here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, so yeah, um, I pastor Calvary Church in, it's actually Inglewood. You were close. Edmonton's oh, okay. close. It's a little north. but. Uh, Eagle, that's, that's Eagle in Canada. Colorado, and um, yeah, I've been there since 2009, and um, my wife Jenna and I have been married for 18 years, um, awesome, godly woman. Um, my daughter Zoe's a ninth grader, so she's in high school, which is scary, and then I've got a son who's a sixth grader, middle schooler, all boy, and uh, so man, we got a lot going on in our home these days, but it's a blessing. It's, it's I love it. I'm thankful. Awesome. awesome. Well, our, our show focuses on church revitalization, church planting, other Southern Baptist goodies, and there's nothing happening in the Southern Baptist Convention right now that we could possibly talk about. And so I don't really know how you would handle a surprise because we gave you some questions earlier. But I had a little talk with Mark Clifton yesterday about you. And don't worry, all good, I promise. But he said that I need to ask you what the difference is between church planters and church replanters or revitalizers. Okay. Man, that makes me feel better because I didn't know what was going to come out of your mouth if Clifton said it. So, <laughs> um, you never know. Yeah, you never know. Um, so the difference between church planters and church replanters, that's the question. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, here's what I would say. I mean, I would say you know, there are similarities, of course, between replanters and church planters, specifically in terms of, I'd say, the visionary aspect of leadership, of uh, going into a place, into a community that has a lot of people who need Jesus, and we need to mobilize our people to live on mission. Um, and so in church planting, I mean, that's kind of what you're doing, man. I mean, you're, you've got a crew of people uh, who are fired up, and we're going to go take this community for Christ, and, and we're going to do that thing. Um, I would say in replanting, that's also a critical piece. And so at the same time, though, and here's one of the differences, is in replanting, we talk about the visionary shepherd, okay, the visionary shepherd. Now, in church planting, and if you ask church planters, and we plant churches out of our church, um, of course, we want planters who are shepherds, but here's the reality. You, you can kind of, when you're planting a church, man, everybody's gung-ho about you. They're, I mean, they're, they're saying, we'll follow this guy anywhere. And so we're just going to go. And so you get these visionary leaders and they're passionate and they're just, they just want to change the world. That's awesome. In replanting, there really has to be a strong heart of shepherding that says, hey, 
we want to see Jesus do unbelievable stuff through this church and this community. We want to reach the lost. But the way we approach that is one of with tenderness, with patience, uh, with a shepherd's heart, if that makes sense. And, and it's important to make that, those two words are both important because what we don't want is simply a shepherd in the traditional sense of, uh, man, I just love people. And, and, you know, it's not that I don't care about evangelism or mission, but I'm quite honestly, I'm fine just not, you know, just caring for these sheep forever. Um, the problem in revitalization replanting is if that's your approach, you're, you're going to help them die. And that, you know, I mean, that's what a, cha- a good chaplain, that's one of their roles, right? Is, and so, but in revitalization, specifically replanting, you want to love people really well, but you also have to have a visionary mindset. You're, you're trying to take these people somewhere they haven't been. You're trying to reach people that haven't been reached. And so if that makes sense, I would say those are kind of the differences. So the visionary piece is similar. I would say, though, with the replanting, you're trying to get folks on board with something they haven't necessarily signed up for. I mean, they have, but they've sort of been forced into it in a way because they don't know what else to do and they're desperate, and God, we need you. Whereas in planting, you've got a, an army of folks who are just all in. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I thought you were going to say skinny jeans, but that was a much better. Uh, <laughs> well, that is always a bonus. I mean, that's a plus. At least that's um, what I hear. I mean, that's what I hear. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 my, my body's not built for skinny yeah, jeans. I have no experience there. Um, <laughs> all, right, all right, Mark. So in light of that, then, why on earth? Would, would somebody like Matt go from a church that was running around 100 to a church running 30 in the middle of nowhere? And, and why on earth would I go from a church that was running about 75 uh, debt-free to a yeah. church that's now running a, about, uh, when I got here, running about 60 with yeah. about $900,000 in debt? Because that seems crazy, right? I, I mean, it seems like a step backwards in ministry. So, so why on earth would somebody do that, to, to go and pour themselves into a dying church? Totally. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And I think this is interesting because I think there are generational uh, trends or differences. I don't want to overgeneralize, but one of the things I'm so encouraged by with younger guys is kind of this, uh, um, while in our flesh, maybe we've bought into, you know, bigger is better and, and these things. But the reality is what I see are a lot of men who are being shaped by the word in such a way that they are feeling the weight of pastoral ministry in a unique way. I know that happened. That was my story. God kind of cut out of me a desire for big and big platform and all this. And honestly, as I began reading the Puritans, quite frankly, um, I began to go, man, these guys get something about souls and caring for souls that, that I just don't get. And, and that's the weight of it. And I would say that's one of the reasons why what you guys are doing and what so many guys are doing is so significant is one, those are souls that Jesus died for that need to be shepherded. They need a loving pastor. And so, um, you know, that's one of the reasons. I'd say another huge reason is this. I know for me, one of the things I'm most passionate about is seeing God glorified in the midst of weakness. And so, you know, I think about churches that everyone else has given up on, and I'm going, man, that's just like God to just show himself off in doing the impossible, right? And we see it all through scripture. We could look at all kinds of examples of how God does that. And we look at Paul's teaching and in our weakness, you know, that he makes us strong through Christ. And, and I think replanting is the, is the perfect image of, of the gospel at work in that way. And so I think, you know, part of it is going, man, do I care more about my glory or God's glory? 
And I would say to replanters and revitalizers who are plugging away, man, if you want to see God glorified and you want to become less and he becomes more, then, dude, you're right in the right spot because that's what he does in revitalization and replanting. Praise God. And I know for me, man, there's nothing I'd rather give my life to. Yeah, like I, I tell our folks often that there's no, no faith needed to do the possible. And uh, Amen. nothing Amen. could be more impossible than, you know, a town of 57 in the middle of nowhere. We're, you know, an hour from what, what I thought was only one Walmart. I found out a couple of weeks it was actually two Walmarts. Praise the yeah. Lord. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what Hallelujah. Rebecca and I do for fun. Like that's our date night now because there's absolutely nothing here to do. We've got a post office and a cafe. That's it. And the cafe is only open for lunch and breakfast. So, I mean, there's nothing. So our, our date nights is we go down to Alamo uh, at God hates you degrees. Like it's a thousand degrees down there right now. And we go to Walmart and uh, we get a, you know, coffee or something from McDonald's, a couple of nuggets. And that's, that's our time. <laughs> and so it, it, it screamed impossible, but it was where God uh, was calling us to be Amen. And Amen. Made totally. impossible, possible by his grace. And so a couple of weeks back uh, or months back now, we interviewed uh, that that uh, scallywag that we talked about a little while ago, uh, Mark Clifton, and uh, we had a blast. It was wonderful. Uh, but when we were wrapping up, uh, we asked Mark, who who else in, in the whole church revitalization world do we need to be learning from? And without hesitation, uh, he said somebody else. I don't remember who it was. No, he, no, he said Mark Halleck. So. And, uh, and Mark, before we dive in and find yeah. out whether uh, Clifton obviously lacks discernment for that suggestion, a couple of weeks back, Kyle and I played a game on air called Church Revitalization Roulette. We won't go into that because it brings back bad memories that hurt a lot. But the idea was that revitalizers inevitably have to make some change, obviously, at their church, uh, perhaps a whole lot of change. But with that comes some risk. Churches have split over carpet color, paint color, choosing pews or uh, chairs, whatever it might be. What were some of the uh, first changes you had to make there at Calvary? Yeah, and um, I think we'll talk about this in a moment, just how do you create change in a healthy way and lead change in a healthy way? Um, but w- one of the things, and I think about early changes, here, here was one of the things that, that I saw in, um, at Calvary was there were sweet folks in this church, there were about 30 folks there, and they were, uh, they were sweet people, loved Jesus, really tired, right? And that's pretty typical in most of these churches that we're going into. But another thing that I saw, and I think this is true in a lot of traditional churches, is church is sort of the place where everything happens. So we go to worship at church, Sunday school at church, potlucks at church, everything's at church. One of the things that I felt was going to be really important to the health of our congregation and also our ability to reach the lost in our communities was was integrating what we just call community groups in homes. So I knew, man... Praise God for Sunday morning and worshiping the Lord together. We need that. But what if we kind of took the Sunday school idea and moved it into homes where we're sharing a meal together, where we're laughing together, where it's, it might be an easier on-ramp for people who are freaked out by a church and could come in and just be loved on. And so that was one of the first changes that we made is, is just trying to help them get a vision for that. And so we literally had two things going on. We had Sunday morning worship, and then we had what we call community group, on Wednesday night at our house. And it was basically the same, it was the church. I mean, it was like the church there, the church here. But the dynamic was totally different. And 
while it was kind of weird at first, what we know is we're made for community. And, and what happened is people started to fall in love with each other in a new way. You know what I mean? And so there was, there was laughter. There was trust. There was, uh, you know, just being in a living room is just a different deal than being in pews. And so that was one of the changes early on that we made because here's what I knew. If, if the culture of Calvary was going to change and become one that was warm and inviting to the outsider and was going to become relational and missional, it had to begin in some ways with the core group that was there. And so how did we, but I knew we couldn't push too fast or too hard. And so, you know, kind of introducing it as, hey, let's just meet in our home on a Wednesday night and share a meal. I mean, everybody, Baptists love food, baby. So, you know, wherever there's food, there we are. And so we started that way. And so that was one of the early changes that we made that was not a major change, but it was, it was a change. And, um, but it was incredibly helpful to the health and, and kind of set us on a, a healthy trajectory, I think. Cool. Now, we all have those changes that, that in our mind, like it was a great idea, right? And, and like this was going to be the thing that revolutionized and, and then it, it doesn't quite work out that way. Did, did you have any of those, like, like maybe one change that just kind of fizzled that, that you, if you could go back, you wouldn't have done the, the same way? Yeah, you know, he, this is the truth. I was thinking about this. You know, God has been really gracious to us in, in I think, helping our leadership discern timing of changes. So we haven't had any major uh, changes that backfired, but there have been a lot of little things. So, you know, one of the things we know going into an established church is declining is there are, uh, there are traditions, there are what I'd call landmines that are hidden <laughs> of things all over the place that you as the pastor, you have no idea that that thing's there until you hit it. You know what I mean? So here's an example. So early on, um, it was a Palm Sunday service. I think this was year one. Um, and I didn't realize that there was a sweet older woman in our church who hurt one of her ministries was getting the palm branches for the little kiddos. You know what I'm talking about? And at the beginning of the service, we wave those palm branches and music's going and they're going, well, I just didn't, it didn't even, it was just something I didn't even think about, you know? Um, cause at that point I was preaching, I was leading worship, doing everything. I just wanted to get through a service. You know what I mean? And so I hadn't approached her about that. Now, of course, I had no clue about it, but boy, I heard about it after the service, right? And, uh, and, and so I kind of blew it, and not just with her, but others. Boy, we missed those palm branches. Well, that's an example of those kinds of things that as a pastor and a replanter that you're blind to, which is why it's so important. You cannot exhaust asking questions and listening to everybody about everything in a church. Uh, because that was, and, you know, what do you do with that? You, all you do is apologize. You humble yourself and you hug her and you say, I am so sorry. That is my fault. And I, you know, I love you and, and we will not make that mistake again. And baby, we've been doing Palm Branches every Palm Sunday since. We're not going to miss that one. I thought but you were going to say every Sunday. Every Sunday. <laughs> we took that to the extreme, man. <laughs> we changed the name to Palm Baptist Church. <laughs> People are loving it. So that's, I, a, that's an example. Is that helpful? I mean, that's an example yeah. of just one of those little landmines that you can jump on, you can step on and not even know it. And, and I think oftentimes as a, as a replanter, a church revitalization, new pastor, um, those are stuff that we don't even know about. And, and a lot of those things, I think, become so second nature to the church that they don't even think about us not knowing about them. But totally. then, like you said, you, you greatly offend someone when you don't when you don't do that. So. You know, one of the things that, that, that I always say with our guys we're training up is don't assume anything ever. 
yeah. about anything. <laughs> Just don't assume anything ever about anything. Ask questions, listen. If you have a hunch, then ask the question. Don't assume anything. Yeah, because they, they don't, I don't, I don't think any church member has a list of, you know, when the new pastor comes in of these are all of the things that we do. You know, you just find out after, well, we've always done it that way, or we never did it that way. Uh, When you were telling that story of Palm Sunday, my, my example of that, you probably heard when you're listening back to some of the, uh, the messages, but uh, it was Memorial Day. And it was the weekend I was moving here. Uh, we had our first baptism. Uh, I had, you know, the truck is halfway here. And yeah. I, I have come, you know, at, at this point, or, or at that point, I was 33 years old. Uh, and I was about to be crucified as just like Jesus at that point. Because I had been for 33 years in churches that didn't do uh, you know, the national anthem or didn't necessarily do the pledge. And, you know, we might've had the flags on the stage, that kind of a thing, but I wasn't ever in really a patriotic service. And that day comes, you know, I've got my family halfway here, truck halfway here, baptism. Like you said, I, that was like my maybe fifth or sixth Sunday or so. I hadn't been here a whole long, long time, had no idea. And I woke up, didn't even know that it was Memorial day. Normally I'll, I'll throw that in on a introduction or something like that. And uh, we go through the service and kind of like your little old lady there, I found out after the fact how deeply offended uh, oh, I, I made somebody. And yeah. uh, in, in a good transition to the next question uh, was, it's very important for us to learn from those things. And right. uh, what, I, what I learned, of course, was that all of these holidays uh, at, for some people uh, were probably at or maybe slightly above Christmas and Easter. And so I, I wasn't going to go that far, but what could I do to maybe find a good middle ground? And so what we did uh, was a uh, Veterans Day was rolling around, and we did a mm-hmm. Veterans First Responders Sunday, and uh, yeah. we brought in the VFW. They did the flag procession down in a fellowship mm-hmm. hall. Uh, yep. We had a meal, and everybody was happy. And so that was mm-hmm. one that I felt like I knocked out of the park. And, and I know I looked, kind of did a little snooping. And I saw that your favorite book or one of them was yeah. Humility uh, by yeah. C.J. Mahaney. And so I want you for just a second yeah. to completely forget everything you learned in there. What's the change <laughs> that you made, you enacted, that you yeah. think you absolutely knocked out of the park? That, was, that, we, that we led well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would say, honestly, probably changing our name, mm-hmm. the name of the church. Now, one is you got to understand our contacts. So we're in, De- so Inglewood is Denver. So you can think Denver, Colorado. Denver is a highly unchurched uh, city. It's a sin city. Uh, you know, depending on who you read, it's 91 to 92%, you know, lost. I mean, it's crazy statistics. And so here, and I'm a, and I'm a Northern guy. Okay. So I'm a Northern Southern Baptist. And one of the things is living in this Northern part of the country, I know this. Baptist is like a curse word to a lot of people in this culture. It just is. Whereas maybe there's still areas in the South where there are. Where being part of a Baptist church is a beneficial thing. It's a helpful thing. It might even be uh, kind of an honor thing. Here it's the opposite. And so, and part of that is obviously just misinformation and assumption, all kinds of stuff. But the reality is a lot of people here think when they hear Baptist, they think, you know, Westboro Baptist. They think... Uh, you know, hellfire brimstone. They don't think grace. They don't think love. They don't think gospel. And so when I came to Calvary, we were Calvary Baptist Church of Inglewood. That's, that's who we were. 
And so, you know, part of it is I don't believe that a name is the answer to change stuff, right? And so that's why we didn't change the name for a while, quite frankly. Um, but, and I knew this, if we couldn't change it well, that was okay. We weren't going to change it. We had to either be on board with it and, and get everyone on board or not. And so as we led that, basically here's, here was kind of the case. So here was the challenge. I had to help a church of Southern Baptists see that the best way we can be effective Southern Baptists is by taking Baptist out of the name of our church. You follow me? Like that was the challenge. And so what we did is we talked about, one, just the realities, naming reality of folks, uh, of where people are in our culture. Two, um, recognizing that as Baptists, we are a great commission people, man. We are about reaching the lost with the gospel. We are about seeing souls saved, period. And we have, that's our history. That's who we are. And so if that's the case, then we would hopefully have a heart that says we don't want any stumbling block to come in the way of that. Um, and so, and then, and then the third piece of just kind of data that I helped our people wrestle through is the reality that in Colorado at that point, over the past 10 years, there'd been like 60 churches planted out of the Southern Baptist Convention, and 59 of the 60 did not have the word Baptist in their name, which blew them away, right? But again, helping them to, to understand these are the reasons why. The main reason it's, it's missional is why. Um, and so as we kind of spent time really talking through that and trying to help some of our older folks understand it, um, they not only embraced the change, but they were fired up about the change. And so that was, that's an example of something that, uh, again, some would say, well, are you ashamed of the word Baptist? No, we're not ashamed at all, man. We, we are Baptists. We love it. But we care more about reaching the lost, and we want to be wise, and we want to be biblical in that. Um, to become all things to all people, we want to do whatever it takes to reach the lost. So that's that's an example, I think, of by God's grace, a change, a significant change, where you're stepping on. I mean, you talk about sacred. A, a church name is pretty sacred, and trying to lead, helping you know lead a congregation with unity through that. Um, on one of the bios that you have out there, uh, you said that if you could do it all over again, uh, the, the first thing you said is that you would pray more. Mm -hmm. T talk us through why that is. And well, yeah, I mean, here's just the bottom line. I just don't think you can pray enough. I mean, I just think, I mean, that, that really is the answer. I mean, you know, I just think prayer is so vital to this. I mean, who, are, who do we think we are, man? Like if, if we're trying to do this thing without total dependence on the Lord, on the Spirit, humbling ourselves constantly, um, and, and how, you know, I don't know how to humble ourselves more effectively than to be on our faces in prayer constantly and say, Lord, this is your church. These are your people. Um, I mean, even this morning, I came from our, our Wednesday morning prayer meeting, and what are we doing? We're, we're just saying, God, this is your church. We need you to move. Only you can change hearts. And so when I say pray more, I mean that, and I just know prayer is a fight for me. I mean, it just is. I mean, there's, you know, some guys are just, man, they could pray all day. And I've just, I'm not wired that way. It's a fight. But I've got to preach that to myself. That, man, this is, this is the fight God wants me to fight, is to be continually put him first, continually give our church to him. This isn't Mark's deal. This isn't anyone's. This is his deal. And so prayer is that constant dependence, I think, that says to the Lord, God, do with us whatever you want to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. How, how would you say, um, 
you know, for, for somebody like, like me with, you know, ADD, what it maybe sounds a little bit like you, uh, you know, yep. we're, oh, yeah. we're sometimes just getting to prayer. Maybe we can, we can do pretty easily staying yeah. there and, and focused is a little harder. Yeah. What are some ways that you have, have, you know, or, or some steps that you've taken yeah. to, to pray more effectively and, and been more faithful in prayer? Yeah, that's really good. I think one, I know for me, cause I am ADD too. I mean, that's how I'm wired is one I've got, you know, you got to control your schedule. You know, if you don't control your schedule, everybody else will, somebody will. And, and I just think part of maturing, I hope as pastors is learning to say yes and say no um, um, and say yes to the best things and say no to even the good things sometimes. Um, and prayer is the best thing. And so for me, I just literally have to schedule it. I mean, so like Wednesday mornings, it's just a non-negotiable. 7 a.m., I'm at the church. And part of what helps me is praying with other brothers and sisters. I'll be honest. Like, I'm a, I'm a relational guy, um, and I love praying with others, you know. And so for me, that prayer meeting is a key place for me, like, regardless of my week and how busy it is, what I've got going on, I know Wednesday mornings, I'm going to be with brothers and sisters at our church early in the morning, and we're going to call out to the Lord. And, and that's accountability for me, honestly. Um, but it's also a joy, of course, in the midst of it. I would say also, um, you know, one of the things we're really intentional about at our church in terms of how we shepherd people is, is obviously what a lot of churches do, take prayer requests. But then on Monday nights, we gather every Monday night with our elders uh, for two and a half hours every Monday night is for a shepherding focus. And a big focus of that is actually praying for those needs. You know, one of the things I talk with pastors about is getting prayer requests isn't the problem. It's actually praying. And, and, and my hope is, man, I just, I don't want to be one of those pastors, and I know I could slip into it, that I say I'm praying for people, but I'm actually not. Or I say I'm praying for our current, but I'm actually not. So Monday nights is another huge accountability where I'm praying with our other elders. So you, you get the sense here, like it's got to be in my, in my schedule. I need others a lot of times to, to help me. But then in my quiet time, obviously, just time with the Lord, just trying to obviously begin with just being honest and praying. Um, you know, it's, it's that childlike faith, man. I just, I, if we lose that, if I lose that, I'm dead, you know, that just childlike tenets and joy in the Lord. And so uh, hopefully prayer is just a constant thing for us. Um, but anyway, hopefully those are some things that would help. I think every pastor needs that though. And that's why we have a prayer. We, you know, we didn't have a prayer meeting for a long time. And uh, in a lot of traditional Southern Baptist churches, you do. Uh, we actually got rid of it. And then we reinstated it partly because I was convicted by it. I'm like, you know what? I need a time. If Who are we to say we're serious about prayer if we can't have at least one set-aside time of the week yeah. just to vote as a congregation of prayer? Yeah. So, anyway. Well, we, we obviously have to depend on mm-hmm. God because we certainly can't depend on our good looks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the girl of the church. Uh, your second lesson is one uh, I, I struggle with a bit. And, uh, I, uh, I never really measured up at home. Uh, you know, if, if I made a 95, why wasn't it a, you know, a 98, if I made a 98, why wasn't it a hundred? I mean, if, right. if I made a hundred, why, you know, <laughs> I don't know what they would have said, but that still would have been good. Enough. But pursuing your critics, uh, with intentionality is one of the things that you said that was a lesson you learned uh, from replanting and revitalization. Mm-hmm. And so as I was reading that, I, I took that to mean stalk 
mocking them and then kicking them in the shin. And so that's, that's how I read it. Uh, how, how should our listeners uh, read that? Why is that important? Yeah, that, I don't know if that interpretation is, is right or not. but uh, <laughs> that, that, that must be the message version of it. Or yeah, that, I think it is. It's not the CSB version. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, here's what we know. When you're doing revitalization, when you're a replanter, you're going to face criticism. I mean, it's just going to come. And I, and I know for me, I mean, I don't like to be criticized. I love people. I'm, I can be a people pleaser. Um, and to be honest, I think that's that, you know, I talked about earlier, the visionary shepherd. I think part of what's beautiful about being a shepherd is you are sensitive to people. You know what I mean? Um, and that's what makes, I think, a good pastor a good pastor. And so you don't want to become hardened. Um, I used to not know how to pray. Like, God, why am I so, man, why do I just, my feelings get hurt so easily? And, you know, I just need thicker skin. You know? And I feel like what God showed me over the years is like, you need a toughness, uh, but you need a tenderness at the same time. And part of that comes down to, and here's what I would say, a couple things. One, ultimately, this is where we grow in the gospel and in our identity in Christ. Bottom line is, if I'm trying to find my identity and people approving of me and my church thinking I'm a great preacher or I'm this or that, I'm a great leader, then I'm dead, man, because that comes and goes. Um, but if I can just continue to grow deeply in the reality that I'm adopted son of God through Christ, that that's who I am, that that's my identity, that that doesn't change, man, that is that joy of being just a son of God um, grows in me. Here's what it does. It puts things into perspective. Does that make sense? Um, and so you can take criticisms in a new way. One, not take them so personally. It gets a defensive. Uh, but hopefully not let that crush you because ultimately your identity and your joy is found in the Lord. A second thing I would say is this. I think, you know, Spurgeon was really helpful for me, continues to be in a lot of ways. But, you know, he would say that, you know, when he was going to meet with somebody, and of course Spurgeon was criticized like crazy about, for everything he did. Uh, but one of the things that I read years ago, he said, you know, when people uh, criticize me, I, you know, it doesn't bother me because they don't know half of how evil I really am, mm. you know? And, and so he'd say, going into a meeting, and so this has actually been so helpful for me, is when I'm in touch with my depravity, the reality of my depravity, in light of the gospel, I shouldn't be shocked when anybody's mad at me. You know what I mean? In fact, here's what I know. And I think it would help a lot of pastors just to realize everything we do in ministry, we could do better. We just could. And so for us to get defensive over pretty much anything is just actually not honest. And so I think when you're approaching your critics, part of it is just going most of the time. Now, sometimes you're criticized for unfair things. And, you know, I'm not saying you want to just be a pushover or whatever, but I think in a lot of cases, you know, the way you're going to uh, you know, overcome your critics is actually by agreeing with them <laughs> in, in a lot of ways and saying, you know what, you're right. You know, the Palm Branch thing, okay, I could have defended myself. Well, nobody told me. I mean, I didn't know. How was I supposed to know that? I, mean, I don't even know where the, I've never even seen any Palm Branches. Right? You know, you could go there and you know what you could do is make a bunch of enemies and look immature. Or you can say, you know what, you're totally right. I, I could have done a better job and I apologize. Listen, you want to... You know, you're, don't fight your critics. Love your critics. Be humble before your critics. And that would be the third piece I would say with this, is if you are doing a good job of intentionally, ongoingly pursuing with love everybody in your church, and that includes the people you don't want to see, 
then here's what happens. They begin to see your heart. And, you know, you, they see that, man, this pastor really loves me. I may not like him. He may annoy me, but he loves me. And I don't know what to do with that, you know. And so then the issue really is the Holy Spirit in them, you know, because they're wrestling with their own stuff, and there's nothing we can do there. Um, we pray for them. If they're regenerated, and I don't care if they've been going to church for 40 years, if they're not regenerated, we pray for their salvation. Uh, if they are regenerated and they may be really immature, then we encourage them and we speak truth to them and we love them. So, you know, um, that's what I would say when it comes to critics. I mean, one is identity in Christ, be rooted in that. Two, uh, expect criticism and oftentimes agree with them with love. That gets their guard down fast. And then thirdly, um, what's the third thing I just said? <laughs> uh, um, love them. Yeah. Love them. Love them. Love them. Love them. And just and ongoingly. You know, it's not just, hey, I guess I'll go say hi and give, you know, a handshake. I mean love. You know, and that's one of the things you'd see, I think, about replanters. You know, you gotta be able to be okay to hug people, man. If you can't hug people, you're in trouble. You've got to be able to hug people and love people and speak words of encouragement. So anyway, hopefully that's helpful in thinking through some of that. Um, all right, one last serious question. Brag on God a little bit. Just tell us how he's how he has been and how he is working through um, you or maybe in spite of you and, and through Calvary. What's he up to right now in, in the, the Calvary family of churches? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, there's just so much to say about that. God is just so awesome from, you know, his faithfulness just in seeing you know, just little victories of, you know, like this week, you know, seeing a, a little newborn for the first time come into our church and the sweetness of this new couple, the, their first baby, and just what a miracle of life, you know, be able to shepherd this family um, to uh, quite honestly, just how our church by God's grace, and, and it's all the Lord. That's, you know, that's the other cool thing about this is when you go into a dying church that's not cool and it's, it's why would you go there? God gets all the glory. And so, you know, in our church, by his grace, he has taken Calvary from a church of 30 people in 2009, about ready to shut their doors, to now we just replanted um, our 18th church wow. in those years. So we've replanted now uh, nine churches. We've planted seven churches that we've adopted. So we've seen God cre uh, create a movement out of this. And, and that's one of the things that I want to challenge uh, replanters, revitalizers. If you're just trying to get a church healthy, you're shooting way too low. We've got a mission, and that's to take the gospel to the nations. And what I pray is we'll see more replants become go to the, get to the point where they're multiplying churches. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, because that's ultimately our call. We can't let the put, you know, we want to take our foot off the, off the gas sometimes, but we got to keep going. And so, you know, just recently, for instance, we, we've seen a church uh, that was dying up in the mountains of Colorado, um, not in a cool part of Colorado, but in a, in a part that uh, is, is kind of rural and not a lot of people go. And there's one little church in this community of about 400 people. And, and we heard about it and they heard that Calvary, that we care about dying churches and we said, we do care about dying churches, and we want to, can we help you? And man, by God's grace, we, we sent one of our replanters and his wife, and our, our churches have worked together to help replant this church. And dude, it is so awesome. They just had a, a community outreach, and about half the town showed up. And Jesus is being made famous in this little community where that church could be boarded up right now. And so that's our heart, man. And that's, that's what gets me up in the morning is I want to see Jesus made famous in areas where he is needed 
and doing it specifically through churches that everyone else has given up on, uh, but God hasn't given up on. So those are some things that I'm just so thankful for. And I just feel like, man, what a joy to be on the ride. You know, the Lord can take us home any time, but in the meantime, we want to be faithful and take risks for him and just be God willing, humble servants, man, in, in the potter's hands. And the first thing that popped into my uh, my head, which is always a dangerous thing, uh, but the first thing that popped into my head when when you're talking about just creating that movement that we we tend to kind of aim very low. And and I'll I'll be very honest, we we want to be part of uh, planting churches, but hadn't ever given any thought on yeah. really anything other than Mayhill Baptist. And and so that was a convicting word for me because I I thought of it in light of evangelism that. I get a whole lot of joy when somebody right. repents and believes. And but the Great Commission goes beyond, you know, it's not just going out and telling somebody about Jesus. It's making disciples. And, and ultimately, yeah. the greatest joy that I get is when that person that I've led to the Lord starts leading somebody Amen. else to the Lord. And totally. I think the same thing is, is true there with our churches, is that as our churches, you know, get healthy and, and start planting and replanting, yeah. that's when we can start to really see that movement. Amen. Totally. Begin. So that's really awesome to hear. Matt, let me say one thing real quick. I know we got to close yeah. now. One thing that I do want to say is we, we have to change the narrative in our circles of revitalization and replanting. For too long, we've assumed only big churches can plant churches. Mm. And that's just a lie. That's yeah. a lie from the enemy. In fact, I would say small churches can be even more effective in properly and appropriately and effectively raising up church planters and replanters and sending out core teams, smaller core teams, but effective core teams to plant churches. And so that's one of my, you know, my real passions. I wrote a little book called Raising Up Replanters. And that little book, it is not, it, there's not, not a lot there, but man, what it is, is my heart for normative sized churches to say, you can do this. And it starts with raising up one man. And so you can do it. So I guess I just throw that in there to say, if we're going to see a movement, especially particularly in the Southern Baptist Convention, where we are planting a thousand churches and roughly closing around the same, we not only need to plant, we've got to help our dying churches be revitalized and then become multiplying churches. And we can do this. By the power of God, through the the Spirit of God, we can do this. And so we need crazy replanters who actually believe that. And then we'll do what it takes to, to, to trust them. Well, as as much as I don't want to, I think I can speak for all of us, as much as I don't want to, it is time to hop off the train, so to speak, so to speak. So thanks for taking the time to listen in today. And if you haven't, be sure to subscribe on iTunes. And if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review. If you don't, feel free to just skip along and don't do a thing. (laughs) Uh, we also ask that you visit www.notanotherbaptistpodcast.com or on Facebook under that same name or on Twitter at NAB underscore podcast. Send us out, Kyle. Well, until next time, may your coffee be as black as night and as bold as the gospel you declare. You did it. I'm so proud. Yep. Well yeah. done. Thanks, Mark. Everybody <laughs> hey, Mark. have a good day. Awesome.